everyone. Happy New Year. Just before we get this episode started, this episode is with Charlene Senjenko from Regen Media. As you're going to learn about, this is a new and different kind of impact media organization. Since we've recorded this episode, I thought I would share that Regen has announced and is celebrating both a multi-filmmaker feature documentary collaboration in partnership with TELUS Originals and a multi-stakeholder initiative for Indigenous female entrepreneurs with a mini documentary feature. So those are both two really cool milestones for this young organization. If you, as you're listening to this, anything about Regen kind of appeals to you, speaks to you, especially for potential media partners, ad buyers, and or impact investors looking to support the organization, please connect with Charlene directly. You can reach her through her LinkedIn profile, which is linked in the show notes here. Or her website, also linked in the show notes, it is regenimpactmedia.com. You're listening to the Impact Investing Podcast. I'm your host, David O'Leary. I'm a reformed free market capitalist who now spends his time trying to harness the power of the markets for good. And I started this podcast for anyone who wants to join me as I explore the world at the intersection of purpose and profit. Modern media is both wonderful and scary. It represents both the best of what people have to offer and the worst. It can include beautiful works of art by independent artists that tell stories that uplift the human spirit and pass along cultural lessons and values. Or, as is so often the case today, can just be a, and you won't believe what happens next, clickbait article. That's because modern media is increasingly being determined by finely tuned algorithms optimizing for clicks, engagement, and ultimately profitability rather than any higher purpose. Meanwhile, an increasing number of studies are demonstrating strong links between our consumption of digital and social media with an increased risk for depression, anxiety, loneliness, self-harm, and even suicidal thoughts. Continuing to allow companies to A-B test on us at scale for the sole purpose of optimizing profit, without regard for the toll it takes on our physical and emotional well-being, is, well, a recipe for disaster. Enter today's guest, Charlene Tenjenko, founder of Regen Media, a 100% Indigenous-owned and female-led media partnerships organization that matches progressive impact investors with purpose-driven brand advertising dollars to fund transformative media projects that deliver both social and financial returns. Charlene is a former national marketing manager, competitive athlete, digital media arts professional, and indigenous storyteller. In this episode, we discuss Charlene's journey to launching Regen Media, the problems she sees with modern media, her vision for the field of impact media and regen in particular, and examples of Indigenous-led media projects she's begun supporting, including her own documentary about her journey to reconnect with her Indigenous roots as an adult adoptee. And be sure to stay tuned to the very end when Charlene shares more about the opportunities for how both brands and impact investors can support these amazing media projects. And with that, let's get on to the podcast. Charlene, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm excited to chat about this. This is a unique angle here in industry, given we're going to be talking about media a lot here, and I haven't done a, an episode with uh, with this angle. So maybe I'll let you, in your own words, introduce yourself to the audience. What are you passionate about? What are you working on? I'm grateful to be here. What gets me out of bed every day, I think, as most people in the impact space is, you know, what I what can I do today to make sure that tomorrow is even better? I'm really passionate about the power of media that's all around us right now and how to harness that power. I've I've been a change maker for, you know, more than 20 years in the social impact space. And uh, and I think it's just a really interesting time to be alive with all of these type of capacities and capabilities like you and I having this conversation today. So that's definitely one of the things I'm most passionate about is how do we harness the power of media for good? Yeah. So I, I'm going to read a description of your from, from the website. I'd love to understand it better. So you described yourself as a modern day medicine woman using regenerative media medicine 
elevating brand advertising and modeling relational investments in our future. Um, can you unpack that? That's really interesting. Yeah, I am a self-proclaimed medicine woman, but I've been told by different elders and knowledge keepers through my reconnection with my Indigenous heritage that, you know, one of the one of the things that I'm here to do is to help the world heal through the power of story. And once I was able to digest that and just be with that, yeah, I just really started to ground into, yeah, it's, you know, if I pay attention, every single thing that I consume on any given day, whether it's a message from a friend or it's a clip on social media or it's a film that my husband and I watch it, it's going to do one of two things to me. It's either going to bring me up or it's going to pull me down. And I really just started to pay attention with how, with the, pay attention with the fact that media really does mirror our reality. And do we want it to mirror a reality, you know, that is going in a really positive direction or do we want, or do we want the opposite? And really the role that I've stepped into is exploring regenerative media and what that means, how it might be used as medicine for society this decade in our lifetimes, because we certainly have the tools to do so. Yeah, it's very interesting hearing about media potentially being as medicine. And I think you've alluded there to maybe some of the ways in which modern media is not particularly healthy. You, can you talk about problems that you see in modern media? Yeah. I mean, you think it's a, like so many things, right? I'll take an example. It's like we're driving like a really beat up, run down vehicle right now. You and I are on the road. It's a bumpy road. And one of our car tires is like a little bit flat, but we're still getting there, right? We've still got the car. We still got the road. We're still, you know, we're still driving and we're getting to our destination. And then all of a sudden, this amazing vehicle just whips past us. And we're, both of us are upspacked. We're looking at each other like, what just happened here? And I, th that's the way that I look at it with media is we're just scratching the cusp of what's possible with the gifts that we've been given. Like it is such a blessing and a privilege to be alive as a human being right now at this point in history. Like it really is like, you know, my dad, my adopted father was born in 1918 and she passed away in 1980. Like she had a very different life experience than the life experience. If, if she knew you and I were doing this right now, she would not even believe it, right? And I just think we're so fortunate to be alive right now. But what are we, and what are we doing with that? So I think we're really just scratching the very cusp of what we're able to do, what we're invited to do, what we should be compelled to do as human beings with what's around us in terms of the tools of technology, global connectivity, the power of the media, the ability to use our voices and connect like we do. And so I think for me, it's just really, I don't know, I'm excited to devote the next decade or two of my career to really pushing into how do we best use these tools to, I don't know, explore the whole purpose that we're here in the first place. I have maybe some of my own gripes about <laughs> about modern media, but in what you, do you see it being used in unhealthy ways right now? Fair? Yeah, I think it's certainly a spectrum. I mean, I think you and I both know we wouldn't have like <laughs> try to have parental control on some gadgets if we didn't need to, right? And so it's a spectrum. There's certainly there's certainly you know shows that I'll watch and go really like really this is what we're consuming nowadays, like on one end of the spectrum, there's a bit of maybe disgust, but even in the middle with the things that are just neutral, media is doing a fabulous job of entertaining us. Media is doing a fabulous job of entertaining us and keeping our attention. That's in the middle and that might be more dangerous 
than over on the other, you know, the other side of the spectrum. So what I'm curious of is how can we really push into what's available? We don't even know what's available. And I do have some favorites. Like I'll drop a couple of names so I can like, and I'm not talking that everything has to be a documentary that's going to make us, you know, tomorrow start shifting behaviors. But I'm one of my favorite shows. I've oh, name dropped. I'm a huge Ted Lasso fan because I just watched that show and I remember that humans are kind. And I remember that it's about teamwork and we're all very different. And I got my husband watching it and, you know, like it's just a feel good show. So I'm not necessarily only talking about advocacy films where you must, you know, change behaviors, but those are important too. Like things that make you stop and think, things that make you remember something about yourself that maybe you've just forgotten something that's important to you. But I really want to push into what's that other side of the spectrum that's possible through media beyond entertainment. Yeah. I mean, I was talking about this with a friend the other day, talking about you know, social media and the, you know, this is not original insight. Lots of people have talked about know, the challenges and the problems around social media algorithms. And you, know, you have basically teams of to programmers who their job is to maximize the amount of interaction that you have. That's the goal. And so then what, how can they tinker with this algorithm to serve you up content that's going to make you click, make you comment. And it's solely optimizing for that, like in, into the point of addiction, right? I mean, we, I literally, I know that I'm addicted to my phone. I mean, I try to put it down and I walk away from it and all, but, but it's an unhealthy attachment that we, I think a lot of us do have, I certainly do my, my phone. And I know that a big part of that is these sort of dopamine hits I get from opening up social media and checking and seeing, you know, alerts and messages and, you know, hearts and all those things. And I, in some ways equated it to like, these algorithms are like the equivalent of like digital cigarettes, right? I mean, cigarettes were literally designed to like, let's put stuff in this to make it as addictive as possible. And we don't care what the health consequences are. And in the same way, I feel like the same thing's happening with media, broadly speaking, in a lot of ways and social media, certainly with the algorithms like digital, where it's, it's optimizing for getting people to click on it. It doesn't matter whether that's a healthy feeling that we have from that wanting to click and engage with that or, or making us feel sad, depressed, inferior, you know, whatever those things are. And, and so I wonder whether you agree with that, but I even, like, I'd even, I even think in, in the, in the, so that's just like digital, you know, that's a, like a digital algorithm, but even in like the types of content we choose to pr produce, the types of stories we, t we tend to tell seem to be at, at you know, at the biggest levels optimized for what's going to sell, not. We don't care how it's going to make people feel. We just care that it sells. Would you, do you think that's fair? Or is that kind of partly what you're getting here? Yeah, for sure. Like that's definitely one of the things that influenced my decision to, yeah, to start a, a new company at, you know, a new, a brand new founder at 50. Like, what is that about? But I agree. It's like, we're my girlfriend who is an award-winning filmmaker. She calls it fast food media fast food films. And uh, for sure, like where in some ways we've dumbed it down, we've dumbed this op opportunity down to, to produce certain types of experiences that their number one goal is how much can they sell. But I also think that there is a growing number of human beings in 2022 that realize that whole model is not necessarily the best model and uh, that remember that stories that have a, a powerful narrative to them you know i any conversation i i have with anybody right now it's like tell me about a story that really impacted your life and they'll remember back to like you know sitting on their grandmother's knee and hearing a story or being at summer camp and hearing a story or a film that really impacted them and uh, I think that it is within us. Like, I think we know at our, at a gut level that story is, it is actually the framework or the backbone of society on, upon which 
everything else hangs, you know, is hung. It is, it is the stories that we believe about Canada, the stories that we believe about our community. That is basically the foundation of our perspective around it. And then we start to build and hang everything else from there. And some of our stories have really been rocked in the last year or so, right? It's all about the stories that are around us that we believe about ourselves, about each other. So just think if you actually started to proactively utilize that same power of story, what, you know, what could happen? What could be the possibility there? Yeah, I mean, story, it's, I'm curious, do you, how would you, I'm curious how you would define storytelling? Like what are what are hallmarks of good storytelling? I'm going to come at it as an indigenous storyteller, right? The whole Great. purpose of story is to transfer knowledge, transfer a set of values or beliefs that have been passed down for generations. This is who we are. This is what we're all about. This is why we're here. This is what we believe in. And, you know, stories are the way that we shape the future by how we pass them down from one in one generation to another. That's why they're so important in the Indigenous culture. And I think that is, you know, that's the underlying or underpinning message around the work that I do. I really do believe that any story does have a purpose to it. it, it whether we want to admit it or not, that story was written for a purpose. Is that purpose to lift us up as a society or is it to is it to pull us down and cause more fear no no like what comes to you when you think about really like storytelling what when i bring that up to you like what are some of the best experiences you've had around around storytelling and like with yourself with your kids what ha what comes up for you yeah i mean that's a good question i've heard the term a lot more in recent years, because it seems to be you know, dominating advertising and media, just let, you know, if you want to get a message across, it should involve good storytelling. A lot of that association in a, I think, West kind of society, like just around getting the outcome that you want for the click or the, <laughs> you know, the subscription, the purchase that you want, and less on what you're talking about, which I think is really important, is the idea of passing on values and lessons and learnings and what's important. And that does seem to me, at least in my experience, you know, storytelling didn't really have that connotation. But as I've had kids and, you know, think about, you know, my mom passed a couple of years ago and thinking about, you know, lineage and um, all that stuff, and that aspect of, of storytelling just really speaks to me right now as incredibly important and like something that's time, you know, that there, I don't think there'd be a point in history. The methods by which we, you know, tell those stories, whether you write them down or they're in video or whatever may, may change, but that you know, sharing those stories is really important. And one thing I'll just drop in here, cause it's just, I think a neat idea. Some the listeners may find interesting. Is I thought about it in the context of there's a concept called uh, leaving an ethical will. Um, there's not a that not everybody uses that same term for, um, but some folks do. And the idea is that a legal will is like where you leave your thoughts, uh, or your, uh, what you want to happen to your assets, right? Who gets what beyond your death. And an ethical will is leaving your, you know, your, your family and your loved one, a story about literally could be a video. You could write a letter to them about what was important to you and why did you make the decision that you did in your will about where you leave your assets? More, more than that, what are your values and what did you believe in and what, what was important to you? So that, you know, ask, pass on your family doesn't have to make guesses about, oh, dad would have wanted this or dad would have liked that. You can literally tell them and leave that story for them. And so this idea of, you know, telling people who, who you are, because it's such a shame that, that you only really can connect with, you know, one or two generations beyond you in either way, right? Your grandparent or great grandparent, if you're lucky, like a grandchild or a great grandchild. But beyond that, right, we then lose touch with those others in our family. So I, anyway, that was a long-winded explanation or, or response to your question, but it, it really resonates with what you what you're um, what you're saying about storytelling. Yeah, and I just to play off of that a little bit, like you you said it, like story is one of a very few things that that does last forever. Like once a story is produced, 
once a story is told, I think it has an incredible legacy to it. You know, wh whether it's a philosopher's story, you know, for, from one of the great philosophers, or it's a prophecy or a myth, like those are stories that, you know, so I just think again, in a society that is, kind of, I believe, pretty hungry for things to count into right now, the power of story is really rising. And uh, it's interesting, like I'm working on one project right now with, with the chief of my nation, the former chief of my nation. And, you know, I said to him, because he has a lot of wisdom to share. And I said, I really want you to come at it from, tell me about some of the wisdom you want to leave for your great grandchild that you won't have the chance to meet, but you'll always have the chance to leave this story for them. And I think that plays into the ethical will. And, you know, it's a neat opportunity that we have, but I think what we're not aware of, and I hope one day we will be, is remnants of every piece of media that we consume in a day or in a week. They're with us. Like, they're with us. Like, we, whether it's a song that we're listening to that, like, brings out a good vibe or it's something that isn't as positive, it has an effect on on us, on our psyche, on our physiological or psychological being, just like the food that we eat. It is no different. And uh, yeah, I mean, my dream is that one day our Apple watches and Sitbits and Aura rings and all those wonderful mechanisms will also have the capacity to really make us aware of our wellness on a daily basis based on the media that we're also consuming because we're connected to it, North American adults, you know, as much as 12 hours a day. But yet, you know, we're more worried about how much we slept last night. And don't get me wrong, that's hugely important. But I don't think we're sleeping 12 hours, you know? Uh, yeah, 100%. It's, it's interesting that, you know, we, uh, I'm coming back to this, this point, but I, you see it everywhere. I mean, we're optimizing for the wrong things a lot of the time, right? Like, in the pursuit of profit. So we're optimizing for shareholder value and not thinking about stakeholder, all the other stakeholders in a business. We measure economic prosperity by GDP and not any other measures of wellness. I mean, it's just so crazy that all of our focus is just on, you know, that bottom line, that dollar, because it's easy to measure and because that's the thing we can then use to pay for other things. But it's just, you know, we need to expect that scope on like, hey, there's a lot of other impacts from this and let's try to man and manage those things that we optimize for for, you know, a holistic type of outcome rather than just on, on I'd, I'd love to dig into your background a little bit. Um, you've mentioned your kind of indigenous roots and I, a really interesting story. I'd love to hear about your kind of, where did, you know, how you all got started and how did you end up where you are right in, in launching? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'll share just a little bit about my indigenous roots and also how, you know, what sort of happened to me in the past you know, as an adult that brought me to where I am today, I was actually one of those, you know, one of those children I was taken from my community in 1969. I was born in a very small Indigenous community called Splatsing, which is in Enderby, BC, in the Okanagan. And I was adopted from the family that I was with in foster care with. I was adopted when I was just four years old. So I'm really grateful that I wasn't continually within the foster care system. And it is definitely one of the, one of the driving factors of my work to make some changes and advocacy work within that same foster care system, especially for Indigenous children. I grew up knowing I was adopted. It was pretty apparent in my family. And I, my brothers are all over six feet tall and I'm barely five, three. But what I didn't know, what my parents chose not to tell me for their various reasons was that I am Indigenous. And so for the last six years, I've reconnected with my heritage, with my family. It was very important for me to get my status. And it's they're all really interesting points of conversation right now. But six years ago, People weren't really talking about all of this stuff. I was just on this journey. I've been lucky enough to, you know, just slowly but surely, and I know it sounds funny in six years, you know, to start to reconnect with my community, but it is a really slow process. And 
grateful for the mentor and the guide that I have in this area, a very special friend that's slowly bringing me back into but as I'm coming home to my community, I'm also wanting to make sure that my work in the world is absolutely with integrity, with the highest purpose. Like it's just no, for me, is no wasted moments, right? There's so many things we could do with our time and energy at, you know, almost 53 years old. I always tell people when you're in that kind of harvest time of your career and you put the time in to build your reputation, you know, depth of relationships, your fear of influence. That is your time when you're really being called to your greatest work in my mind. And so what is it that you really want to be, be known for? What's the legacy you're here to, to create? And it's funny because I think that the universe has left me clues all along. There's so many parts of my story that you could not even make up if you tried. I was lucky enough to start my professional career in the investment services industry more than 20 years ago. And so I like to think, you know, I jokingly say that I really honestly did learn from the best when it comes to putting together business deals. And now I have taken the very best of what I've learned, and I'm now learning to put together deals for the sole purpose of impact. And that's really what, you know, what regenerative media is for me, is how are we bringing the right partnerships together to make sure that transformative stories that deliver target returns are told. And, uh, you know, I just look at all of the dots of my life that have brought me to this point. And I know without a doubt that this is what I'm here to do for as long as I can do it. And it's this crazy, you know, newly emerging category within the media tech space, but it's dedicated to the finance of the type of films and the type of media projects that we know have the power to shift the narrative of our future. And that's really where I want to play into now. So I, I love, to, we'll dig into regen, uh, regenerative media, regen media. What, tell me just about the, how do you make the transition from in the investment world to media? And I know that there's a investment finance component to regen we're going to talk about, but the media is the, of regen media I'm curious about. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny because even when I was in my early 30s, and I don't know if this is the same for you, but I think, you know, media has been all around me. Like, as you know, I was that young girl that was, you know, looking at the muscle and fitness magazines and the, you know, back in the day when there wasn't the internet, but the magazines at the checkout got your attention. So right from there, I'm looking at media and it's reflecting back to me. It's like, I don't quite look like who's on that cover of the magazine. So what does that make me think about myself? Am I supposed to look at like who's on the cover? And then I remember being a young girl, you know, really loving shows like, like Charlie's Angels and like all of the adventure shows with strong women. And it's like, you know, no, no surprise there. And then fast forward when Oprah finally came on the scene just so badly craving that kind of inspirational media that kind of felt like church in a bit of a way like it was very inspirational and it was like every day and I was grateful for that but I always wanted that ability to twist her more like I wanted to be part of the audience and but I can like even though I was in the investment services industry at the time I was absolutely being influenced by media on all sides of me that was shaping who I wanted to be as a woman, how I wanted to be perceived or act. You know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be found attractive, but not too attractive. I wanted to be found like young and energetic, but not too young and energetic because you won't be respected. Like it was, it was a really interesting, it is a really interesting walk, right? So, and all of that comes, you know, really does come from what we're seeing every day and what we're taking in. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. Uh, I mean, it certainly is a very different dynamic. I mean, there's still 
very challenges, obviously, for, for men and boys. The media is a factor for women and non-binary folks. You know, a bigger gauntlet, I think, than men and boys have to put up. It just, just adds this extra, you know, on top of all the extra challenges, especially at such a young age. I mean, that's partly what, what worries me about, you know, social media. I was my, my daughters and thinking about their relationship with it. And like, before you're even, you know who you are and you have any confidence, right? And you, you've figured things out for yourself. You're being inundated with all these messages about what you should look like and what you should do and how you should feel. And it's just, it's a challenge anyway. So you, so tell us about Regen. You, you launched uh, earlier this year. Is that I right? did. Yeah. So really the gap that happened between, you know, when I left the brokerage industry in 2000 and starting Regen, you know, two decades later, I have, I started a company called Powerhouse, a social impact organization, which was very de dedicated as an impact accelerator, primarily focused on women. Like how do we best support women to, to really run with the impact they're here to make in the world? What type of supports do they need? And as I walked through that process, I would say since about 2015, when digital media arts and independent film and, you know, storytelling and the, the ability to be online really started to gain more and more traction. As an, as social impact entrepreneur, I just started to get more and more magnetized to the role of media in change making. I've been working in change making in this space for quite a long time, but everything is heightened now. You know, everything is more urgent. So it is really like it's still very important to support individual and groups of people that are change makers. But how are you influencing society at a whole and what is possible? So in 2015, I really started to play around with the power, you know, started to pilot and prototype, you know, different digital media arts projects tied into events and showcasing certain things and tracking, you know, what we found, what we learned. I thought that we would launch Regen in 2020, but we all know what happened there. It didn't seem like a really great time to launch. So we held out until earlier this year. And Regen has a very interesting model to finance transformative stories. And really what I mean is, I'm back to putting together those deals where we bring progressive brand partners who want to use their advertising dollars better. They are attracted by the prospect of being an executive producer. They're attracted to some interesting events and screenings and film festivals, and they're attracted to the opportunity to create wraparound advertising campaigns that put our artists and the projects and the brands together to really shift how we view and see commercials. We locate those partnerships first. And when we have those partners in place, we then match them with dollars from our Regen Media Impact Fund, which is launching this fall, which will be an impact investment fund that invests in slates of regenerative media projects rather than impact companies, which is probably the norm. And uh, I always, when I'm speaking to investors or other fund managers, I say our impact media fund with Regen will be a little different, but complementary to yours because you are investing in the businesses who are really working hard to solve the problems of today. I'm investing in the me regenerative media projects and the stories that are going to help to lift our perspective, shift our mindsets and behaviors to make sure that these problems don't follow us into tomorrow. So I'm actually 20 years in the future trying to make sure that what we're trying to do better with today is that our kids and our grandkids aren't, you know, hopefully there, there won't be the need for impact investment at the level that we have it today. You know, that's the wave that I'm trying to break. How are we learning to be better humans so that we can put some of these challenges today behind us? And that's really what Regen is all about, is making sure these types of stories get financed. Yes, yeah, so a lot to unpack 
the so the types of media projects that you'd work on would would be quite a wide range is that right like documentary uh, just like full kind of length or shorter movies is it what other types of projects yeah. might you finance? Yeah, that's a great question. We're trying to really, as you would in any investment portfolio, we're trying to really focus on, on you know, building some diversity, a diverse portfolio. We have in our first slate of nine projects, there's four documentaries of various lengths. There's two feature films. There's two integrated multimedia projects, which I can explain, but they're a wraparound multimedia project. And then there's one theatrical performance. It's like a solo show that was a theater performance, but it was actually made for film rather than a theater performance that we dragged, you know, production into there. So we have really diverse group of projects in our first slate. Some of them are by emerging filmmakers, other by are by award-winning filmmakers. So as you can imagine, the prices also, you know, well, the production costs are also a range. And that's really what makes it ding, what builds, you know, what builds some diversity into that fund and into those projects. Yeah. So these nine projects that you have currently underway, like... Do you, I'm just clarify. So you'll, you typically will look for brands that want to associate with the projects that you're like, you're looking for funding from like partnerships with brands that will fund projects that, you know, are telling stories in positive ways as medicine, sort of say, and those will they put up the financing to have those projects uh, done? And are they different than the investors that you might raise capital for, uh, from through the fund? Yeah, it's a great project. A great project. That's a great question. The brand partners that we're looking for, absolutely, most, you know, in most typically, they would sign multi-year retainers to work with us. In those retainers, a portion of what they're contributing goes right into the production of the project. A portion gets used for what we call wraparound advertising. So they're still getting their advertising where they put up is matched for the fund. So as an example, if I find a multi-year retainer from a global brand partner who's willing to put up $250,000 a year over three years, I would match that with $250,000 a year over three years from the investment fund. and portion of that would go to the project and a portion of that would go towards advertising to actually, we want to make sure that the projects have a lot of support and momentum when they hit the ground. And, you know, just like the trailers that we see, you know, online, you know, that are flogging our favorite shows, we're really wanting to build some incredible campaigns, different types of campaigns for the projects as they come out. Yeah. Okay. And the fund itself, when an investor makes that investment, they get exposure to the entire basket of projects that you're working on, or is it tied to That's individual? Great. No, yeah. it's a great question. Thank you for asking. Yeah. The investments are certainly for the whole slate, the whole portfolio, whereas the brand partnerships. Primarily speaking, I believe the brands will want to work with a specific project and we actually have quite a bit of criteria that goes into our matching. Much like you would if you were talking to an investment client, we want to make sure that the values are aligned, that the risk tolerance is, you know, taken into account, all those different pieces, because even from a filmmaker's or a media maker's point of view, they also, you know, are being asked what values do you want to make sure come out, you know, through your film? Who are the type of brands you could see yourself being associated with? Who would you be proud to be partnered with? So we really do. And I guess that's why I call it relational investing, because we're really trying to pull those quality opportunities together, much like a really good investment advisor would. And that goes back to my roots, right? Yeah, for sure. That's, that's, it's really interesting. How do you, I'm curious about how you find projects to support that you decide that you want to include. And then what sort of criteria, maybe at a high level, like some of the, not every single criteria, but what are the criteria yeah. you use to like make, find that fit with them and the brand sponsors? 
Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to speak to that. There are no shortage of good projects out there. There's so many incredible storytellers. I would say, you know, we're, we've barely put ourselves out there and people are reaching out to us constantly. I was part of what was called a Constellation Incubator last summer, which pulled together over 60 independent like producers and filmmakers from across North America. So I have that now. I also, we started something called the Turtle Island Creative Impact Coalition, which is basically Indigenous and non-Indigenous filmmakers, both emerging and award-winning. So again, those networks are, you know, starting to come together. Our criteria for filmmakers, we are Indigenous-focused in our film project, but not Indigenous only. Our whole point of doing this is to create an environment where Indigenous filmmaking can happen within a really supportive structure where they're not absolutely pressured by how much money they've got to make on a project. Like they just focus on the storytelling that they're here to do. And uh, so we do, again, build in Indigenous and non-Indigenous filmmakers are Part of my criteria is they need to be ready to go into production within 24 months. That plays into our financial modeling for the fund. And we do ask those questions like we're pretty clear on our projects. You know, what is your director's vision for the film? What's the impact that you want to make? What are the values you want to come through, you know, see come through the film? Who are the type of partners you could see yourself working with and why? And then we ask a similar set of questions to our brand partners as we're, we have a whole blade of, or a whole offering of brand advisory services where we really start to do relationship building with brands before we even move into project matching. Interesting. Do you, what's a ideal brand partner look like? Or even if there are names of like, are there brands that you'd like, oh, we would love to partner. These are the types of brands that we would love to partner with. You don't have to be specific if you don't want to, but. You know, I, you know, the neat thing is I'm where I'm excited is I see whisperings of this all around us. I do like I, and so I'm really excited to take those whisperings and actually create a system for it because brands are, they're there. There's one example that I love and then I'll, you know, yeah, I've got lots of favorite brands, you know, any, anyone that I would say is progressive, values focused, value oriented. But if you were to look at my wall right now, you'd see a list of 50, I call them 50 fabulous brands, but you know, they're from the Ikeas of the world to, you know, even the Loblaws are trying to, you know, to, to do doing some more innovative storytelling. There, It just goes on and on from there. It, there's one example that I really love that General Mills did a couple of years ago with their yolk plate yogurt. And they did a campaign where they ran a mini documentary series featuring youth, and it was called For the Better. And you can just search it for the better. Now, this is a little different because they did their own media, but they were at least open to it. And they really wanted to create a mini doc series that featured youth and encouraged them to be the change they think the world needs. And the neat thing about that brand campaign is the campaign's brand grew in 11% in just two months. And it really showed, you know, that big giant that there is another way to advertise. Doesn't mean you have to shift, just like investing. We're not asking you to shift your whole portfolio to impact investing. We're asking you to consider a percentage of your portfolio to take responsibility for the future you want. That's exactly like what we're doing with advertisers. And the crazy thing is, like, I don't have to tell you these numbers, but just as a comparative, as of 2020, there was $750 billion in U.S. dollars in impact investing assets under management worldwide. So to compare that, that $750 billion, as of 2025, global advertising will reach a trillion dollars. That's the playground that I'm walking into. It's, you know, if there's a fraction of progressive brands that will go, what? You know, just like impact investing, we might have a role to play in impact advising and regenerative media where we take 
some of our advertising dollars and really stand up and say, yeah, we know we have a role play in the in helping to shift our futures narrative. And we're looking for compelling opportunities, really put together compelling opportunities to make use of these funds. That's where Regen come in, can come in. And my vision is that 10 years from now, there's many agencies and companies that are doing what I'm doing. I'm hoping to just be one of the first ones. I love that. Yeah. With the, the impact fund that you mentioned, that's, you're in the process of still building that, right? So there's kind of investable at the moment, but you're kind of putting that together hard at work at that. What's the, can you tell kind of where that's at and where you, what you hope it will, when it's done? Yeah, certainly. I'm being mentored by some greats in the industry right now. Grateful for that. And I'm learning a lot. This is a fund that, that obviously I'm not personally managing. It will be managed by a professional third party, but it's one that I'll be obviously supporting. It's a fund that if possible, I'd like it to be third funds eligible. It is an impact fund that possibly will have a bit of a shorter hold than some impact funds out there. Just be, again, because films, you know, they can have a quicker turnaround than supporting a company. I'm really asking other fund managers what types of criteria we would really help to complement what's out there already and listening for what, you know, what is needed in the space. It is our goal to be up and running and taking investments in the fund in October. We will see if that is a possibility and leading into that would be, you know, being led by first in brand partnerships so that those impact investors, I can go to them and say, I've already got X amount of dollars in confirmed brand partnerships. Now I'm looking for your investment to match with that to support these slate of projects. That would be my dream way to launch the fund. Yes, that's interesting. I mean, the, so the shorter kind of life cycle potentially or kind of investment horizon is interesting because a lot of impact investments tend five, seven, 10 year type of things, especially as you get into the venture capital side of the impact spectrum, they can have those long period. Yeah. And I think you've mentioned this on the website, but the, you know, the opportunity for potentially a fund where the returns are not particularly correlated with you know, other investments that, you know, an investor might already have because of the nature project, not to say they aren't without risks, but those risks are different than, you know, the risks with, you know, a portfolio of venture capital or a portfolio of debt instruments you know, issued by traditional companies. And so, yeah, I mean, you said it specifically that you're looking at how do we design this in a way that makes it complementary to, to what else is out there um, and the impact investing space because it's still fairly nascent especially in canada you know the more variety we have of instruments and investable opportunities just makes for you know more opportunities to include you know those types of things in a portfolio yeah i really do agree with that i think we're just, you know, in Canada, we're just still scratching the surface of what's possible. I know with the model that we've been working on over the last six months in terms of actual finance model around regen and where the fund fits in, I think what makes the fund most interesting is that it is de-risked by the brand partnerships we bring on. It is using it as a matched funds model. As an Indigenous impact producer in Canada, obviously, I'm pretty aware of the fact we're blessed to have some pretty good tax credits that we will be utilizing. I'm blessed that I will be definitely turning over every rock for the type of for funding opportunities that are available for any of the projects that I'm on the creative team for. There are, there's plenty of ways to actually support this fund so that the guaranteed, you know, the investment that we're trying to get back to our investors is so well taken care of by these other pieces that the fund performance relies just fractionally on how these projects do. And we also think the projects are going to do really well. So we really tried to build a model that is supporting the project supporting the artists and supporting the investors as intelligently and intuitively as we can. I love that. I mean, I think it's, it's 
the opportunity for, as you mentioned on, on, on the website, like the investor to connect with the investment when we're talking about art is a much different, it happens in a much more emotional and real tangible way than, uh, than a, investing in a stock or a bond, for instance, right? Where it, one of the big challenges of those types of traditional investments, because they've been fractionalized, standardized, they all happen through exchanges digitally, and you don't ever have to, you know, when you buy a share of Donald's or Coca-Cola, I mean, it's such a small fraction of ownership. You don't feel like an owner and you actually kind of remind people that like, Hey, when you actually buy a stock, you become an owner in that company because of the way that trading happens these days, we become detached from that. So people often treat it like they're just trading pieces of, you know, these ticker symbols and they just don't even any understand, you know, a lot of times don't even have any understanding of the underlying business, never mind an attachment to it or a connection to it. And I think those, those aspects are a, not only interesting, fulfilling and rewarding for their, in their own right to be able to know that you helped fund particular projects and, you know, if you've talked about opportunity for them to participate in screenings and, you know, investors to participate in screenings or meet artists or attend festivals and things like that. But then the behavioral, like I'm interested the behavioral benefits of that in terms of what we see in the investment world is, you know, oftentimes the fear and greed are driving our decision-making. And so we're, you know, buying stocks after they've already gone up in value because we're chasing the returns. And then when they fall, people panic and sell. So we're, instead of buying low and selling high, we're buying high and selling low. And in a lot of cases, investors tend to be their own worst enemy in that regard. But what we've seen, I think in, I haven't seen a lot of great data so far yet, but I think there's starting to emerge is this idea that when you start to buy an investment for some other purpose than just the profit that you might earn on it, that it makes you less likely to uh, fall into these patterns of fear and greed where you're solely buying high and selling low based on fear and greed. And instead, hey, I bought this for some other purpose and it mean, is meaningful to me. I, I care about the investment that I made. And so you're, it actually ends up, I think there's a lot of, there's a very good thesis that says you'll actually perform better as an investor when you care about the underlying investment because you'll be less likely to panic sell or fear, you know, greed buy um, in the first place. So it, it's an interesting aspect of this that I think art has an even greater opportunity to do that than like, you know, I guess you have some of that opportunity with, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a woman and I want to support women-led businesses. And so that can give you an emotional connection for sure. Art, there's just something about, you know, I think that pulls out even more of the emotion and connection. Uh, so I, th I view it as having a potentially a higher opportunity for that type of thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's a lot of people that are very interested to invest in film. They like film. They love the whole idea. But again, in the past, film investing in film has been seen as very risky. And so we've really taken the time to explore a model, how do we de-risk this investment? Who are the players that need to come to the table? You know, this really is an opportunity where I think we can put forward a pretty compelling case to both investors and brand partners and say, look, the whole point of relational investing is that we each have a role to play in making this happen. And this absolutely has the opportunity to be an emerging industry. So I think both institutional investors as well as retail investors will appreciate that. And like I said before, like I, I hope that 10, 20 years from now, there are many impact producers such as myself, impact media advisors, just like back in the day, there was a time when there wasn't such a thing as an, in, 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 you know, an investment advisor. You just go talk to your banker. Right. And so I just, I can keep thinking about, you know, an indigenous principle is seven generation thinking. So if we're truly seven generation thinking. I'm thinking about the emerging industry that's upon us, that media is pointing us towards the opportunity is right here, just waiting for us to capitalize on it. Yeah. Um, maybe in, in, in closing, we've got two final questions. One is, could you give a description of one of the projects that you said you've got nine kind of under underway. I, I, so I hate to make you pick one. Can, no. you, can you give us an example of one that like is, yes, and what the story is, like what's the project about and who's kind of working on it? And Yeah, man, it's hard to pick just one, but <laughs> I will 
you know what, maybe I'll be a tiny bit self-serving and tell you that there is a project of mine in this. I'm definitely an emerging filmmaker, but oh, there's a that. That's amazing. There's a documentary cool. called Coming Home, and it is, it is an intertwined story between myself as an adult adoptee and uh, the former chief of my nation, who was a chief for 40 years. It's a story where he is, you know, really sharing some knowledge around what he has learned in his lifetime that he feels, you know, that he feels needs to be heard for all of us, for the children that we have and that are yet to come. I'm also very curious to, you know, my, I guess my curiosity is how many other adult adoptees are there in Canada like me that maybe grew up away from their community and have some, have a whole bunch of learning to do, but really have something to also contribute back to community because we were raised in a privileged environment. And I'm putting out my own sort of call with this film to others like me across Canada and seeing what might happen with this call. So that's a film that's underway. We're already starting to do many screenings and talkback sessions in communities to start having the conversations, which is the other beauty of regenerative media. You don't have to wait until the project is done to have the impact. And then the full, you know, short documentary will be completed in the spring of 2024 and hopefully onto the film festival circuit by then. But we're already like Chief Wayne and I are doing two events, September, October, just with a little mini documentary of what we're working on and what we're here to talk about in communities. So I think that just goes to show that it's a very different way of doing things and utilizing media to make change. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. And you're, and you're producing, like you're the filmmaker in this one. Yeah, I'm working wow. with my team. I'm doing some directing in it. I'm not behind the camera myself, but definitely yeah. directing it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's really meaningful. I didn't mean to jump right into people in the film, and, but it's just how it's happening. So I'm trusting the process. Oh, I love it. It's very impressive. I, and thank you for sharing your story and this opportunity and love, I love the, you know, the idea behind the film as well in terms of reaching out to other adults who've been through, you know, a similar situation to you. It's such a, a great example of how you can use media in a positive way, as you're saying. So thank you for sharing that. Can we give a call, like a, I, I'm happy to drop in the show notes. You mentioned the two events coming up related to the, the film. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Well, in a, about a month, uh, September 22nd, we are doing our launch of all of our media projects. So we're doing a virtual launch party. It will be recorded, but we'd love to invite anyone who wants to come and learn a little bit more about Regen and to meet our projects and some of the artists that's September 22nd. And then leading up to the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. Yeah, it's just a little mini teaser that will be streamed from here at my home community about coming home on September 28th. And then again, up in the Okanagan at the Vernon Town Theatre on October 4th. But at least one of those events will be streamed. So yeah, we're really trying to also work on that hybrid model from local to global change making. And there again, with media, we're able to do that. So really grateful. Amazing. Any other things that you wanted to bring up that maybe I didn't ask you about that you think are important? To yeah, I think to just, you know, for anyone to just really start to, to think about regenerative media and what it could be, you know, just really open up your imagination. Think back to the stories that have really shaped your life. And if there are any impact investors or impact fund managers that would be really willing to have a conversation. For me, it starts in relationship first and then leads to anything else. But, you know, our fund will be open to both institutional as well as retail investors. And right now I'm still in that, you know, that learning process of how do we really make this all that it can be? I'm not rushing this process. Like it's an indigenous trait to just take your time, be patient, learn what you're here to learn. But I'm also really excited. Like, I, I believe that I will be the only Indigenous-owned, female-led venture fund that is focused on 
you know, impact media. And I hope that I can model something, you know, pretty spectacular. Yeah, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. That's really incredible. And and if there are brand, you know, brands out there that are looking for sponsorship, that's another call to action. If anybody's out there representing yeah, a brand that yeah, wants to get in touch. Yeah, and, yeah, and I'll yeah. just say like, you know, back in the corporate career, that's, I left my position as a national marketing manager in an investment services firm after being, you know, an investment advisors, you know, on a team. And so I really am familiar with what quality sponsorships have to be. I've been on the other end of it. So whether you're in charge of implementing your brand strategy and your impact goals through your advertising sponsorships, marketing, community investment, whatever you call all of those siloed dollars, I'd really love to talk to you about how we might be able to show and demonstrate intentional action. A lot of companies are doing some really brave, bold work around ESG, you know, strategy. Now let's move that into intentional action and implementation. And I believe that we can present you with some really compelling opportunities. Amazing. Awesome. Well, Charlene, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure to chat with you and to hear your views on the media and uh, what you're doing with Regen Media. It's very cool. I'm definitely uh, rooting for you. And I hope that hopefully the podcast uh, also helps get the word out. And we'll have to have you on again in the future. And we'll kind of get an update and see where you're at and hear about all the cool projects you've brought to life. I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm really grateful to be on here today. And I'm also grateful for your work, David. You are using media to, you know, move forward the work that you feel is important in this industry and in the world. And I'm just really super grateful for that. Thank you. I'm grateful to all the folks who come on and, and share their stories. So it's a nice win-win. Well, with that, I'll let you get back to your day. Thanks so much again, Charlene. Thank you.